We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol Podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Ben. And tonight we are looking at the Space 1999 episode, The Rules of Luton. Alpha emerges from a 42-day space storm to find a nice little planet, and they decide to send a three-man crew to investigate. Gone are the days of sending down a proper reconnaissance party. The Eagle develops a fault, and Tony takes the Eagle back to Alpha, while Koenig and Maya go on a murderous rampage, killing and eating the inhabitants of the planet, which are tasty plants. The rightful justice authorities put them on trial, by combat, for their heinous crimes, by pitting them against three other aliens who have similarly broken the rules of Luton, and apparently been hanging around waiting for a new batch of criminals so they could have a team contest instead of just pitting the aliens against each other. But anyway, having three spacefaring sentient beings against 1.5 sentient alphans is apparently not enough of an advantage. So the judges of Luton give each of the non-humans a special ability. One is super strong. The next can teleport anywhere instantaneously, and the third can turn invisible. Despite that, Koenig and Maya prevail, killing two of the aliens accidentally and defeating but refusing to kill the third. Koenig starts a plant revolution and they're released. So, before we ask the question, this is written by one Mr. Charles Woodgrove, which is also known as... The name of Yes, indeed. Fred Freiberger, the producer of the show at this stage of the game. It wasn't, uh, I was uh, not to be confused with the Freiberger of uh, Star Trek. Oh, very much to be confused with the Freiberger of Star Trek. Very much so. Mm. Yes, that Fred Freiberger. Um, and we can talk about whether or not there's some Star Trek influences in this episode or not. But but let's ask the question, Ben. How bad did you hate this episode? Oh, sorry. How did you? What did you think of this episode? Um, how can I say this in clean? It was ridiculous. <laughs> uh, this this uh, this truly was <laughs> kind of. Digging at the bottom in places on the... I mean, there were bits I liked, but... But, yeah. What stands... Well, it, yeah. I, I would say it, this is not Naked Montague. I'm going to be doing this all night now, you know that. I, I um, do. <laughs> yeah, Montague. It, this, this is not Naked Montague kind of hatred. It doesn't make me that angry. Um, but th- th- this is... It, I, I felt sorry for this episode. <laughs> yes, I and, felt sad for it. <laughs> and I'm, I'm kind of, um, you know, whenever you see an episode of a TV show, science fiction, invariably, where two opposing sides are put down in hand-to-hand combat, you think arena 
from Star Trek. Oh, yeah. And the fact that this is Fred Freiberger, who, to be fair, had nothing to do with Star Trek at the point when Arena was written. Uh, um, you know, I can't help feeling that this is directly him attempting to take what is a seminal episode of Star Trek. It's it's one of the most important episodes of the Star Trek, I would argue, of the original series, and tries to tease that level out in this episode. But he does it with such stupid. Stupid. It's, it's a stupid. It's all lost. Right? I mean, so if you look at the original arena, Captain Kirk uh, is, you know, first off, the Enterprise is pursuing to kill aliens. Uh, basically, he's on a bloodthirsty mission. Kirk is not doing probably the, the Kirky thing. He is doing the violent protective thing, which we later find out that the Gorn were also doing the violent protective thing. So this is primitive barbarism, uh, tribalism, protectionism coming mm-hmm. into play. And the aliens are pointing that out and, and bringing them down to the, you know, the hand-to-hand level. All through the episode, Kirk underestimates, well, through most of the episode, he totally underestimates his opponent. He is prejudiced. He sees him as a lizard. And even though he tells himself it's a starship captain at the same time, he still has a certain uh, prejudice that he has to overcome uh, or lest it kill him. He also has to use his brain to find a solution to save the day. And then, organically out of that situation, when he has his enemy at its at his mercy, he exhibits the compassion that Kirk and the Federation espouse. So all in all, to me, Arena is one of the best ever about oh, explaining absolutely. Star Trek. Right? Yes. I mean, that, you just say, here, watch yes, this yes, and you'll yes. understand. <clears throat> Here, though, you know, we, we start with the central premise. They pick some flowers. It's not till the, or Ada Berry, it's not till the very end that Koenig points out the complete arbitrary nature of this from the, the, the judges of Luton. Because they could have said something, right? But they didn't. Right. So, you know, yes, admittedly, that's the first thing they did was they reached over and popped some food and, and chucked it in their mouth and picked a flower. Which may not have been the wisest thing for them to do. No, not without testing it, but those, at least. But, the, well, but they think, would have picked it anyway. I think, I think she said it's edible. I think my oh, That's true, she did. She, she yeah, she did say it was edible, that's true. But, but nonetheless, you know, the judges of Luton could have said something first, like, stop! They know what animals are. Obviously they know what animals are. So they're hypocrites. So right. that's fine. Then when they say, we're going to set you up, of course they accuse them of being cannibals. Yeah, that was an oh okay. So, um, in other words, they're plant life. Yeah, that's not cannibalism. No, it's not. And they certainly didn't have any problem killing all the animals on their planet. Yeah. So, <sighs> I know there's there's, but at least there is some calling out of that hypocrisy on Koenig's part. So it at least the episode like the last minute when they I know out of his I know and and that's it's lame. It should have been addressed much 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 earlier like within the first 30 seconds after they touched down. Well, so Koenig is is shouting at the the judges of the thing. He said we what we did was we did out of innocence. Now, or ignorance. Okay, fine. Right? I beam down to a planet and I kill somebody accidentally not realizing it's a somebody. It's still a crime. 
right? It may be a different crime. It's not, it's not first degree murder, but it, you know, it could be manslaughter or it could be accidental homicide or whatever you want to call it. But, you know, there is, a, there is a level of degree. But what do the judges say? Well, you'll be given a chance to prove that by putting you in mortal combat to the death. How does that, how, how does, does that, that in prove? any way demonstrate their intent, their, their innocence? It doesn't. And that's what I the mean, judge says. And that's yeah. the part that bugs me. It's like, no, you know, you're guilty. Here's your punishment. That's one thing. But you're guilty. Here's your chance to prove here's your innocent your tri- by it, killing It's somebody. trial by combat. And that, does, that makes absolutely no sense. It's way too primitive. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I... I, it, it, I mean, it's, it's what it is. It's actually gladiator match. So again, you know, in, in, in Arena, we get to Kirk at the end. He's He's basically trying to kill that creature the whole way although he is beginning to as they communicate in the middle of the episode kirk is beginning to see his point of view right he's seeing the gorns but maybe you were just defending your your space and maybe we should have talked about this instead and maybe we should you know i mean he's beginning to get that thing but but he's still in the i have to kill him otherwise he's going to kill me mindset until that moment when he has him in his thing throughout this entire episode you know, it starts with – well, okay, so when they say here's your chance to prove you're innocent, I thought, well, maybe maybe by not fighting, they can prove their innocence. Right. That was my first thought. And, of course, I don't remember that about this episode. I just remember them fighting. But, you know, first thing out, Maya's like, must we kill them? Must we kill them? John's and answer, Koenig's yes. The, yeah. Yep. Absolutely we do. And and it's, and it's really sad because when the big guy rips the rocks off, then Koenig goes – yeah. yeah, we better talk to him because I I don't want the no, guy that kill strong us. not on my side. Oh come on, that's not you know that's the that's the piece of the I've got a hammer behind my back and as soon as you're not useful to me again, I'm going to hit you on the head. Right, and I mean from Koenig's perspective, not from mm-hmm. the big strong guy. And Koenig is not nice in this episode once again. Um, so. Gah! It it loses all the messages because well first off the two sides have no actual reason to fight right except that they want to they want to live they want to live that is the only motivation but that does not hold a lot of water in this episode uh-uh. not at all so you know if it was an attempt to be space 1999's arena Fred Fragberger missed the entire point of arena completely mm-hmm. because everything they do here is an antithetical to that um premise and um you know Koenig is and the plants and the plants are hypocrites we've got the whole all the dead dinosaurs floating around which i thought was cute that their skeletons were still articulated but <clears throat> and not fallen apart but you know Maya's kind of complaining about that. And he says, no, no, they're just eliminating a natural enemy. Well, okay, if you, you know, if you went around and killed all the animals because they were a natural enemy, it's kind of hard to try to claim you have a justice system for animals mm-hmm. who come to your planet and eat something. It, it is. It, it just it doesn't make any sense. And I not that talking plants make sense, but I mean, okay, let's let's go. Let's with that go one. with it. Let's go with that one. But 
you know, it, it would be different if we had some sort of background that that they explain the war. And I love the fact, and when I say love, I'm I'm laughing at that phrase. That, you know, there's like, there's a whole line of dead animals up here. Hmm, that must have been their final stand in the last battle. They've uh, they've eliminated all the vegetation here along their rear flank, so they couldn't be outmaneuvered. I'm like, how long ago did this occur? Last exactly. week? I mean, when did the plants achieve sentience? Because obviously those animals, I mean, they, they were just, they look like the indigenous life form uh, for that planet. So for all of a sudden there to be just this war... Just you know, out of nowhere, it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Again, so yeah, totally um, uh, what I call a leap in illogic. And the dinosaurs appear to have been sentient as well, if they were forming battle lines. That's true. So, you know, it's a, kind of an odd choice that they would pick dinosaur bones uh, and then try to convey them as being sentient beings. Which you know, fine. Again, but it's just I'll ta- an interesting I'll accept choice. It. Yeah, but it's it's yeah, the choice is a little unusual, but. I'll roll with it. It's the motivations that don't make sense. Yeah. And and as you say, when did the plants attain sentience? Did they all attain sentience at once? And, and then all of a sudden decide, ooh, you're well, the enemy. You're me. I mean, yes, when you poo and when you die, you give me nutrients so I can survive. But uh, – and now there are no animals on the planet, although there are tons of insects there were several scenes where you just see the swarms of insects glistening mm, yeah. in the sunlight. So I don't know if they didn't address that um, along the way. Because insects eat plants. And yes, they pollinate the flowers. But they also eat, you know, they're they're same as animals. They do things for the plants. And they do things to the plants. It's part of the circle of life. Uh, I was trying to avoid that phrase. Ah, <clears throat> sorry. Well, there you go. Um... <laughs> And and could the plants move? Well, we saw some moving vines. Well, my question is this. Throughout the episode, we see that corny shot through the comm link of the three trees. Oh, yeah. Which I swear was straight out of Monty Python's The Larch. The Larch, yes. But we see those three trees through the comm link the whole time. And then but all of a sudden, at the end, they're on there the they ridge are. overlooking the battle. Yeah, they're ants. I felt like they just appeared there for the final scene, but I couldn't tell. You know, did the battle work itself away around so it just happened to hit the three judges' trees? <laughs> uh, they must have moved there. They must have moved there. Well, they've had to have moved there because uh, moments earlier, Koenig is, you know, he— they're, they don't stray very far from the free, from the previous time Koenig is talking to them through his comm link. Mm-hmm. So that was, um, um, yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's see. Um, looking at the combat, we've given your adversaries abilities to match yours. Where was it in evidence at any time? That the Alphans had any advantage, except maybe for Maya. Yeah, which is ill-used to begin with. Yes. Um, yes, it is. Because <sighs> uh, I have a, I have a suggestion that we could have used for Maya, but uh, but we can come back to that. Um, yeah, well, let's get back to that. Uh, no, at no point did I ever get a sense that the that uh, 
the Alf, you know, Koenig and Maya ever had an advantage. I mean, from the start, the the laser gun didn't work. Yeah, I, so you now know, I, I blinked at that moment. Was the laser? Did it just not shoot, or did it just not have an effect? It had no effect. So it did shoot. It did shoot, and it hit uh, the leader, if you want to call it that. The black guy, uh, yeah. Yeah, but it had no effect whatsoever. And this is before we even heard the announcement that they were given uh, special enhancements in order to make the battle more even. Yeah, you went, you went okay, I can go with one then. Uh, he could have lasered the log that they were floating across the river, mm. and they'd have sunk, and it would have been over. He could have used the laser to some advantage in making his bolas or something. He could have, I mean, <clears throat> why did he just, eh, shot somebody with it once, didn't work, okay, never mind, we'll just carry it around and never try anything with it again. So that one is a little bit, I, it would have been better if the the judges of Luton had suppressed the use of the laser, which apparently they had the technology to do. Well, they could make the planet invisible, or did they make it disappear? I was going to say more than invisible. It had to have been more than invisible because... Gravity. Damn exactly. It. Thank you. That's in my notes. Tony would have experienced some kind of gravimetric disturbance the moment he got near that planet. Yes. So they had to have made it insubstantial to some degree. That was That one was driving me nuts. That one was really bugging me. It's like... Okay, you think you're really close to the planet. Yeah, I think I'm pretty close to the planet. Well, are you feeling any gra- drag or any kind of atmospherical or anything? Nope, nope, just free. Okay. Well, I guess you're not near the planet then, Tony. Mm, guess not. <clears throat> Helena has a beautiful line in that in that episode. Um, she says to Tony at one point when he's out there, um, uh, I have it written down here. But basically, it's, um, I can't find it, but we have it written down here. Do you have visual? Oh, well, no, you don't have visual. No, you don't. Period. Can you see it? Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, you don't have visual, but can you see it? Um, do you know what visual means, Helena? Uh, <laughs> no, she, she doesn't know. She doesn't know anymore. Um, yeah, I, I think her brain's been Botoxed as well. <laughs> But we love you. We love you, Barbara Bain. <laughs> really, we do. Seriously, we do. <laughs> and then, for ostensibly a smart creature, Maya, they've given the special abilities to the aliens. And he teleports across the second one. He attacks Koenig. He wounds him. Maya scares him, he falls backwards into the water, and he drowns. And they wonder, well, why didn't he use his teleport ability to escape? Now, they should never have called attention to that, right, from a story standpoint. Okay. It's like, okay, he was surprised, he fell in the water, he drowned. Okay, he panicked. Anything, right? You don't even need to ask the question, why didn't he teleport back? Because you wouldn't, you know, things are just happening too fast for him. Yeah. Right? To think about it. But instead they ask about it. And then Maya goes, maybe he's only permitted to use his ability once. Ah, rubbish. What an incredibly stupid analysis that was. I mean, that's just... And of course, you know, we then promptly, nothing ever comes of that. 
Right? We already know that that's not true. Maya already knows that's not true with the super strength because we see him ripping the uh, the rocks apart and we see him throwing rocks at Koenig. So he's already exhibited multiple examples of super strength. Mm-hmm. So it's not you just use it once. And then, of course, we later see the invisible guy turn invisible every time Maya should have already seen him when she's flying overhead. Right. So... That was just a fatuous thing that Maya said for a piece of story that they didn't even need to mention because you just wouldn't have thought of it, right? It just, you know, the audience watching it would have said, well, they're in combat, he falls over, he he gets killed. You know, he just didn't have the time to do the teleport or he just, or just didn't think of it or whatever it happens to be. But you just, for them to call that out, say, I wonder why he didn't use his super, it's like, really, you're going to call up a plot hole? You're going to bring that to my attention? Not a good idea. Not, not a good not a good bit of writing. And and I think that's part of the problem is that with the exception of exception of a little bit in the middle. This is just bad writing. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> it's it, yes, it, it's very very poor writing. And we have really dumb lines like uh Tony He's out there. They're like, Tony, you should have taken a co-pilot. I'm not putting anyone else at risk. risk. So he's he's out there flying around at risk. He says, well, you've got to come back. I said, don't send out an eagle. It's like, you just put somebody else at risk because you had them come out in an eagle. And then they go, well, we've got a relief pilot on the refueling eagle for you. Nope, I'm not putting anyone else at risk out here. Again, you are putting them at risk right now. Yeah. And why Tony? <clears throat> why him? Yeah, wh- where was Alan in all of this? Exactly. I mean, we've heard this big reputation. Alan's supposed to be the hotshot pilot. So if there's anything flaky going on out there, you, you kind of want your best pilot to get you in and out of there. Right. Why Tony? Because, it, I mean, he was Why was sort Tony of, on the expedition in the first place? He, I mean, he, we were sort of viewing him as second in command. Mm-hmm. So, he's, so he should be on... Alpha. So here's the thing. Koenig is probably every bit as good a pilot as Alan is. And the reason we can assume that is that Koenig yeah. used to have Alan's job. That's true. So we, That was established early in the series. Right. So, you know, Alan is the chief astronaut and Koenig was the chief astronaut before, you know, we don't know if there was any in between the two, but um, so we can expect them to be similarly so. So taking an expedition, and although Koenig shouldn't leave Moon Base, he is at least the qualified main pilot. So Tony is flying up as the co-pilot in this case. But why would he be the one that gets to go on the planetary expedition? Again, Maya makes sense because she's the sciencey person. Right. But why Tony? I, I don't – I get that it. Made, it. No, it made no sense un- unless Nick Tate was not available. Well, I'm not 100% sure of what the next episode is. Um, I can't remember whether it's the Mark of Arcanon or whatever it is, or, or I, don't know, I can't think of the, oh, Brian the Brain. Mm. Those are the next two episodes. I just don't remember which order. But I do know Mark of Ar- Arcanon is uh, a very heavy Allen episode. Okay. So, and I Name think doesn't, it, it doesn't ring a bell, so I, I, I can't. I think it might be an episode where they start off and they say, well, 
John and Maya are exploring a deep, far quadrant of space, and it's a it's an alpha based one. Oh my god! I actually so, now I remember it. Oh god, we're oh I, I hate that episode. This one is, I think this one is filming at the same time the other one is, and so Alan was busy uh, doing something else. Or Nick ah, something else. that episode's such a piece of crap. <clears throat> Well, let's, you know, let's not prejudge it until we get a chance to see it. <laughs> I've seen it. It's a piece of crap. Yeah. Um, so that could be why. But again, you know, this is a planet that you look like. This is the first time, I think, in Series 2 that they've even bothered mentioning the idea of settling on a planet. Hey, we just we just popped out of this 42-day-long lo- space storm. What? What's it? What's that got I, to do with okay, anything? Okay, that's interesting. Well, well, for starters, I didn't thought I I could have sworn she said space door. Well, the door which for made forty two no, days. Yeah, it's a storm. I'm I'm pretty sure. Well, yeah, I just I all I could think of was that. Well, that must be one mother of a space warp. <laughs> yeah, but no, I I pretty sure she said storm, but that didn't make any sense either. It's like, what do you mean by storm? And why? Why did you bother to mention that? You know, again, is it is it just world building, or is it just you know, it's like, well, we we're just traveling through space. We can't oh, it's this planet. just it's it's just it, it's babble. It's babble. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's all it's it is. It's just babble. And oh, I like the fact that it's what uh, what what did, what did she say? It was eight hundred and ninety two days. And it's like, wow, isn't that a bit of a jump? Could be. Who knows? Next week it might be seven hundred and twenty days. <laughs> Well, that's what I'm thinking. It's like, uh, I mean, they had gone like many, many, you know, quite some time. And then the beginning of season two, it jumped back like, you know, six months or something. I mean, I don't know. Or more. Was, yeah, quite yeah. a bit more, actually. So it's like, oh, now we're back to over over two years. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, you know, they've just spent 42 days in a storm. They didn't bother with that one. But, um but again, so this here's the first time they've even mentioned possibly colonizing a planet. And what do they do? They send a, a, a half-assed team down to take a look at it. Mm. And there's no discussion in this one about, ooh, we're moving too fast. We might be go past the planet and not be able to get back. And we have a time schedule. Nothing. Nothing like that on this one. Just, yeah, all right, we'll send a couple people down for a day out in the day out in the greenery and then they'll come back to alpha and tell everyone about it everyone else will be jealous and go why didn't you send a geologist commander or a botanist or uh, uh you know scientists that can study the geology or, or the the magnetic fields or the atmosphere so we can do a proper analysis of the planet uh well my and tony and i wanted a nice day in the park i should have taken mm-hmm. helena really but um which surprises me more than anything else why they didn't take helena along too i mean you never know when you're gonna need a doctor well exactly oh yeah i mean <laughs> So, especially the way they are on planet. So, I that part was not um, particularly um, my favorite either. No, because it seemed like that all of a sudden um, Helena was the one running things. Yeah, how did she get in charge of the moon base? I mean, for crying out loud, she's st- <laughs> another yes. line. Another line that I loved in the episode. Um, they're just kind of standing around and and in Moon Base, just between Helen and Yasko, the only two people on Moon Base, as far as I can tell. And so they're really keeping the number of actors they need down on this one. And Helena goes, I, I, just out of the blue, she says, get that planet up on the screen. 
for no apparent reason. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, well, yeah, right. Tony's coming. I've got an eagle fault uh, coming back to get a replacement. Needle. Okay. I get that planet up on the screen. First off, why wasn't it on the screen? It should have been on the screen. Probably the should time. have been on the screen the whole time. But what was it that made her think we should we should get our eyes on that planet just in case it disappears? Oh look, it did. It's gone. It's gone. Where did that go? <laughs> Maybe that's why you don't put a doctor in charge. Um, but at least she's not in medical center killing patients. So yeah, yeah, that that's true. Yeah. So. How about I mean, we we can we could probably pick on stuff in this episode. Oh yeah, why did Maya just change into the aliens? Yeah, well that that's a okay. Now I, I'm glad you brought that up because there is something that Koenig just says that just kind of fried me a little bit. Uh, so he's he's basically saying that um, no matter what form she took, that they would be stronger. Well, okay, starters, you don't know that. Right. Um, you, that, that's a really arrogant presumption because Maya is an alien, and it's a fair bet that she probably knows about life forms that you have not seen yet. Right, well, she knows about alien life forms she'd never seen, like lions and stuff, so... Well, exactly. And she has, I mean, well, gee, I remember one episode not you know not too long ago where there was an explosion in a lab yep. and there was this big beam that came crashing down and they needed Maya to transform into some kind of ape like you know you know like a sasquatch yeah she 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 turned into a type of sasquatch in order to be able to lift the beam so yeah she can turn into something really strong and really powerful you know but the other part i mean there were there were two other moments that just really bugged me the first one and they're they're related. Uh, the first one is when they're swimming across that river. Yep. Hey, Maya, do you know any aquatic animals like dolphins? They could tug Koenig along. You could pull Koenig along. Hey, Maya, when that alien falls into the water, you could turn into like a dolphin and save him. Yep, or an octopus or something. Something to pull him out. But no. Yep, we're just going to... We're just going to stand out to the side. I mean, this this was an episode of really bad, um, uh, bad thinking, and this is one of the problems that you have with the character of Maya. Given her, I mean, I'm sure that when they were, you know, when the writers were all thinking about, you know, a new character to bring into the show, and they come up with Maya, I thought, wow, she she she's a shapeshifter. She can turn into anything that we need her to be. And then, well, you know, that's Pandora's box as oh, yeah. characters go. Because now you've got a problem. You can't write her consistently at all. Because basically, the way her power works, the different sizes that we've seen her uh, shape to, uh, and the fact that she's also able to alter her mass, Mm -hmm. that says a lot about what what that particular shape-shifting power is capable of doing. So that's that's all that's you know I, I hate to say it but it's almost godlike. I mean oh, it's yeah. sort of I mean it's a Deus, Deus Ex Machina kind of situation, and yet now it's all we, we're just going to forget about it. We're only going to use, use her intelligently. Yeah. No, we're going to use her to, use her to turn into you know a bird or a dog, you know. But 
oh, on this other episode, we'll have her turn into Sasquatch because we need somebody strong to lift a beam. Right. And if I, she if she hadn't if she hadn't. Well, she'd learned how to turn into a rock by looking at the rock yeah. the other day. So why couldn't she have turned into, you know, if you're worried about the big strong alien attacking you, you could turn into the big strong alien and fight him. Which one? And I, I'm give, I'm going to jump the timeline. Yeah. So forgive me on this, but she will attempt that in a future episode, and she will fail miserably at it. Because she's trying to turn into a specific type of alien just from its appearance. And she will fail miserably at it for a very specific reason. That comes back to our question we asked a while back. When Maya transforms into a lion, which is an animal she could never have seen, ever, are her internal guts lion? Yes, they are. They (laughs) are lion because I'm going to jump the timeline one more time, there is a future episode coming up where she transforms into an alien that's capable of storing air. Like, and this is how, how they'll describe it, it stores air the same way a camel stores water. It has an internal organ that allows it to do that. And in that same episode... But that, well, no, that doesn't answer the question because that's an alien that Maya might have seen or might actually know its internal... I would have to say that the power works universally. It would not make sense to me of, in this particular case, the alien is able, she she can take on just the appearance of it, but she, in this other case, she can actually take on all of its attributes. But then there must be something that's conveying that information, if you will, that, that the inside of a lion's tail is made up of certain types of bones and cartilage or that you know he has a he has a liver which you know psychons might not have so something must be conveying that information for the transformation otherwise it's just magic well which of course it which it is <laughs> well it is because again there's there's an episode coming up where she will try to turn into something just by staring at it and she will fail for a very specific reason, and this is a big one. And this this kind of thing happens in a lot of this series. She will try to take on the shape – she will take on the shape of something or attempt to take on the shape of something. And based on its attributes, it seems to more and more suggest that she's actually taking on not just its appearance but also its innards. Which I think is more a demonstration of the failure of the writers to contemplate what they have wrought than exactly. any meaningful um, uh, assessment of what her powers actually are supposed to be. But Right. Um, <clears throat> Which doesn't surprise me, and, that's, uh, and that creates what we have here, the writing – in terms of how they are handling her character and with this one, I mean, just the really poor use of her shape-shifting ability based on what we've seen thus far in this series, that's just a symptom of what you just described. Hmm. Um, I will say this, uh, skipping, switching, switching topics, because um, I don't want to forget it now that I've thought of it. When Koenig managed to bolo the alien at the end... Um, because this is not arena, uh, and because Maya has been there, Koenig has been, you know, shouting at them, why don't we, why don't we, 
you know, not kill each other, which again is 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 a very different way of trying to show that humans are nice than what we see with Kirk, where the realization comes upon him. Um, so he gets to the point where he's going to kill him, and then he decides not to. There's really no revelation there. I mean, he's been saying that all along, or has he just been lying the whole time? And then finally, when he actually gets him to the point of nice edge, he realizes, oh, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have done that in the first place. I've been thinking about that in the first place. I can't quite can't quite get it. But the whole final scene is problematic for me because we have Maya in the cage. Mm-hmm. Would Maya really have been crushed if she had reverted back inside that flimsy little cage? Well, here's the problem. We again, I'm jumping the timelines here. We will see her change. Actually, we've I think we've already seen her do this in the first episode she appears in. She can change from one light one form to another form directly. Directly. She doesn't have to revert to her her, her natural bug. form. She could have gone bug and gone right through that cage. So there's one out. Yep. And like I say, I, it, that cage did not look to me like if you suddenly expanded the inside that it would crush Maya. It would simply burst the cage. Well, it depends. I, I guess that it all depends cage. on what kind of what kind of form or what's the actual procedure in which she transforms. Does she actually, for a brief moment, turn into energy, or is the matter literally rearranging? Well, you know, how is the cage differently than her clothes? That's true. And we've seen her, she'll do that a lot. She'll not just change her clothes that she's wearing, but those clothes themselves change into other clothes. Yep. And she will, I'm changing the timeline, jumping the timeline again. She will take a little pen-like object and turn it into a fighting staff. Don't recall that at all. So. And that's a later, a later episode. I remember that one quite well. Hmm. So you sure again, you're not thinking of Babylon Five and the Mimbari fighting sticks? Because anyway, it doesn't matter. No, I do not remember that. But okay. Well, then why couldn't they solve the problem with the planet cycle? Oh no, 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 never mind. So, so anyway, our uh, our aliens are Koenig doesn't kill our alien, and they run away, and he starts a revolution, and the story's over, and it was terrible. Um, the one part in the episode that I liked was their little heart-to-heart. You know, I kind of like that. That was kind of cool. It also gave us a little bit of insight into their characters. We learned a few things. Maya had a brother? Yes, apparently there's at least a thousand psychons out there that have traveled out into space looking for a new home. Yeah. I wonder if that's going to come back to bite them. uh, Probably. Uh, uh, You don't need to. Actually, um, I don't think it will. To be honest, I actually I don't think it will. But in the case of Koenig, hey, he's got a he had a well, previous wife. Hold on, hold on. I, I, before we leave Psyche, you know, we we get the basically the Krypton story here in reverse. Oh yes, yes we did. You know, everyone on Krypton or everyone on Psychon knew that it was going to blow up, so they all left except for Mentor and his daughter, as opposed to Krypton, where everybody didn't believe anybody when they said, then you can't leave because we don't believe you and we don't want to start a mass mass panic. Um, 
but it was kind of it was it was kind of touching stupid but touching that mentor wouldn't leave because his wife's tomb was on the planet yeah well, that's kind of cool you know it it they were trying to humanize him for want of a better word into not just being a mad scientist that had a dream and would do anything for it but he was a sentimental old fool he mm-hmm. was um I, and I wonder if that was in mind, because my understanding is that Fred Freiberger is basically the creator of the character of Maya. Indeed. So, you know, here is here is Freiberger's chance to kind of fill in a little bit of it. Um, if, if it was always in his mind, I don't know. Um, but it was, it was nice. But yeah, so we find out Koenig has had a wife. I think we knew that. I don't um, remember that from before. Was, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was in the writer's guide ah. that we looked at that said he had a, a wife who was killed in the war, but it may never have been mentioned on screen until this point. But I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure uh, of that. Um, it's again, is this Fred Freiberger or is this something that they've built into the universe separately? Because we have that, we have that bit about the 1987. World War Three, slaps head. So really, we nearly destroyed the planet in 1987, and we got an ultra cool moon base by 1999. Yeah, twelve years later. Do you know that they were building a Popeyes restaurant near my office for like eight months, and that's just a little cookie cutter restaurant that they pop eight months. Mm-hmm. Moon base in twelve years. Yeah awesome moon base in 12 years i mean true awesome awesome moon base in it's a pretty cool years. moon base i'll admit it it's a pretty cool moon base that is not just uh we put up a couple of uh, kwanzaa huts and uh, and a landing pod like they did in ufo yeah this is, it, uh, yeah you know this is yeah, the, it's not it's not moon base shadow or it's shadow moon, moon base. city as it's often called in some of the other um uh documentation they never ah. call it in the show, but Moon City. I mean, it's what it is. It's a flipping city. Uh, anyway, so they, they really shouldn't have gotten into the time, the timeline there with the, the war in 1987. But I love the fact that he's like, yeah, but you know, after we had that war, we realized that war was so bad, we would never have another war because that was the war to end all wars. Have they not heard of World War One? Yeah. The war to end all to end wars. End all wars, yeah. Or World War Two, Two, the war actually, where yeah. we decided our weapons are so incredibly nasty that if we ever that, do that again, we'll destroy the planet. Oh, yeah. wait, that's what he said about 1987's war. So I'm thinking we could go for World War Four and probably survive that, too, and be going, oh, we better not do that again. But we came out of it, and we realized there would be no prejudice, and that we would build a wonderful new civilization. Does the... Does the world of alpha that we see really make you think that earth is so much different than it was than it is or that it was in 1975 no i i don't i don't see that and 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 behavior even uh, in recent yeah, really recent episodes would clearly seem to uh suggest otherwise I mean, I think back to that one. Uh, shoot, I can't remember the name of that one episode anymore. I don't think I took the notes for that one. 
Um, oh, 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 yes, Journey to Where. Yeah. That. Uh, and that a whole bit about uh, just the bad ecology and who needs nature. Yeah. Or the fact I, that the world looks didn't look exactly wonderful on no. Earth. But. I, I mean, that, that kind of does not suggest to me the type of society that Koenig was just describing to Maya. Mm-hmm. Also, are you are you comfortable with the idea that you know Koenig had this wife who presumably he loved, who was a casualty in the war? Oh yeah, and what's she like? Helena. Huh. Helena. It's like ooh, ooh ew, transference. Dude. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that was first thought I had. It's like, oh, okay, so you you're hooking up with Helena not because of because she reminds you of your dead wife. I mean, okay. <clears throat> People have a type, you know. I this I, goes I like, beyond type. It does seem like that, but I mean, I can see how you might be attracted to someone that has many of the same qualities of a person that you've lost, that you loved, and it not be a sick form of transference. I mean, if they if those qualities attracted you to the first person, then those qualities seem likely to attract you to the second person. But right. at the same time, the way it was phrased in this episode, uh-huh. it really just came off as like, "Ew, no, I think I think I'm uncomfortable with this." Yeah, think- that was my thought too. It didn't feel like um, him falling for the same kind of type again. I mean, and I get what you're saying, and I agree with you. But it, no, this didn't sound like that at all. This sounded like. Um, I got the hots for Helena because, oh, God, does she remind me of my first wife. That's kind of how it it kind of feels. And, you know, he it might be meant as one of those lines where, you know, they look nothing alike. They sound nothing alike. They, they have they're completely different backgrounds. They're really nothing alike. But she reminds me of her because because I, I love her. It's, you know, her, her inner soul is the same. It could have been any sorts of things when he said that line. It just doesn't come off. Didn't come off. It doesn't come it off. It came out creepy. Yeah, it, it, it definitely did. And then here's another one that was not meant as creepy. But to me, it's, it's probably the darkest thing in this episode. Okay. Um, at some point, Maya takes a stand and she says... On your world, people killed people, people? because they were different? different? That's yeah. disgusting. Now, what did she just tell us about Psychon? <laughs> just prior to that. Well. She said, well, Psychon, uh, okay. we are one race. We're one, one race, one, religion, one government, one religion. One yeah. government. We, have, we had enough material resources, we, no, so there was no separation of classes. Right. So basically she's saying they were a complete homogenous monoculture. Basically, yeah. I find that darker than maybe it should be. Like, how, how do you get to be a group of people who are all thinking the same way? Well, yeah, I think that that was a bad description. I think she was trying to describe... A cultural utopia, um, but I have a hard time accepting that. Well, you know, a member of a cult will tell you that their culture is utopia. Yeah. I, you know, I, I'm, it's just one of those things like, wow, 
Well, okay. So a lot of people, and I think rightly so, make fun of particularly Star Trek The Next Generation, but Star Trek as well and others, that all of the planets appear to be monocultures. It's very rare that they come up to a planet that's multicultural, like Earth is. True. And, you know, yes, the planets are a shorthand for a particular metaphor for something to do with our society so that they can then tell a story about this particular thing that they want to talk to about it. But it always comes off as, you know, this is the way this whole planet is and nobody is like Earth. The Vulcans aren't like Earth. You know, nobody else is like Earth. Nobody else is like Earth. We're the only one. We're the only ones that are like that. And those come off as unrealized shorthand. But here in Maya's case, she's actually... She's making the state. She's making the case that this this is is what we are. This is what's better about us, is that we only have one race and that we only have one religion and we only had one government. That's why we're better than you. Because you're disgusting for you have people di- because you different. have diversity. Yeah, I was like, um, eh. <laughs> I was like, eh. okay. <laughs> and the fact that it even had a religion kind of surprises me, but um, still. But yes, it's a, it's a nice scene, and it's totally out of place in this episode. Where they just sort of sit down and have a have a chat while Koenig should be napping or making his bolas or doing whatever it is. But but it is a nice scene. But is that what the whole purpose of this episode was? Was to just give us the framework to have that? Because that's really kind of what how I come out of this. Is like, well, it was nice to learn a little bit about Maya and Koenig, but well, maybe maybe there were two different ideas that were at work here. One, you know, again, you know, this this could be Freiberger trying to mash two two things into one story. One is to give that whole cultural moral lesson, and then the other was to give us his take on Arena. Oh, sorry, I remember what the third thing was. I, I completely in the final scene when I was saying there was Maya in the cage, there was Koenig not killing the creature, but there was the one other piece to it. Koenig would have done it if Maya hadn't shaken her head. I think. That's possible. He you does know, look back thing. at her. He looks back at her and she like looks at him and goes, mm-mm, mm-mm, and Koenig goes, okay, fine. I'm not going to kill you. You win. It's possible. So again, Koenig really throughout the episode has been kind of the bloodthirsty one and, or let's call it pragmatic. Oh, that's yeah, being nice. We have to kill him. Oh, he's really strong. Yeah, I think maybe we should try not to kill him then because he could, he could kill us. But, oh, he's going to kill us, so we have to kill him. I know we don't like it, but we have to kill him. Let's try to talk to him, but no, no, we're going to have to kill him. You know, regularly, it's it's that. Um, and then even there at that point, Maya's like, no, 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 don't do it at the last second. And, and he doesn't do it. And I, I, again, Kirk comes to the realization because Kirk came to the realization. He learned yeah. his lesson. The Metrons are watching him, and they saw him learn his lesson. They saw him stand up for what was right. They saw him realize that what he was doing was wrong. Koenig doesn't get that. Somebody tells him not to do it. Right. He doesn't. Yes. Yeah, someone has to tell him he doesn't learn. He doesn't learn the lesson himself. <sighs> so yeah. Anyway, and then the planet reappears, and Tony almost smashes into a mountain. Yeah, which would have been fun. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, 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 there were several things like, you mean they didn't crush any plants when they landed the eagle? Well, here's the other thing. Uh, what about all the ground, ground-based vegetation that they're all running over? Yes, there's all the grass and the plants they're going through. And, and that point where when they start the fight, Koenig says something to the effect of, well, let's hope we don't get hungry because, you know, we can't damage any plants. And then the next thing he says is, these would make great arrowheads. We could make some bow and arrows. We'll just need some string. We need some string. Uh, where do you get the string? Well, <laughs> I'm more worried about where you get the bow. That's true. So you so, can't uh, use a dead branch for that. You have to have it has fresh. to be live. Yeah, yeah, because it needs to have uh, that kind of flexibility going to it. So uh, that means that you can't use a corpse. Or if a you spear. get my meaning, yeah, or a spear, maybe. Maybe you could find a stick you could use as a spear. That was his second choice. But well, that's a corpse. It so obviously, corpse, the, right? So, so it, the, it the, the judges of Luton don't care if you use a corpse, but he does at one point. He picks up a stick um, for using for something a couple times. I think he he starts uh, stripping the bark off of it or something. I can't remember what he ultimately does with it. I think he starts that, and then yeah. that's where the teleporter comes and gets him. So he he drops that. But he is he is using dead vegetation f- to his advantage, and they don't seem to be. They his. don't care. And in, a, in the case of a spear, right, it can be rigid. It wouldn't. Yeah. It wouldn't really matter if it was dead. But it, you know, if you're trying to make a bow, you've got to have it be a little bit more flexible, a little fresher. So, uh, but I, you know, it's, it's almost immediately after he says, "Well, we can't use any plants," and then he goes, "Well, all we have to do is make a thing." See, because it's because see, a, an arrowhead that's a rock, so that's not using a plant when I make my bow and arrows. Mm, hey, true. If Maya transforms into a, a bird. Can Koenig pluck a couple of feathers to make the fletching for the arrows? And what would happen to him when Maya changes back? Uh, she, she'd be missing some hair, I think. <laughs> would, would the feathers only be able to last an hour or two? <laughs> or maybe she'd be loose, maybe she's missing some sleeves. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. And don't they get infections fast on those alphans? Again. Again. Yeah. We really have to look that one up as to see or not whether... I, I don't know how fast it takes to come down with an infection. Pretty quick, obviously. I, I'm thinking it's... Well, it must be fairly quickly because... Round trip to Alpha's four hours? We know that. About, yeah. Tony says, I'll be back in four hours, and his mission is to fly back to Alpha, grab a new eagle, and fly right back. So two-hour flight time, one way. Roughly, yeah. We don't know how long he hangs around out there in space, but I don't get the impression that this battle goes on for weeks. It's just no. hours. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, that's my thought too. Or, or yeah, not even not not even a day. Yeah, because we never see nighttime. Yep. So it has to be just for a few hours. <sighs> so he catches an infection very very quickly. But uh, if only he brought Helena, she could have. Use some plant material to form a antidote. Yeah, <laughs> that would go well. That's why she's not in this episode because she couldn't use plant-based remedies. Um, <clears throat> and then we have the scene at the end, the final, final scene at the end, where Koenig is calling out the judges about their hypocrisy that they could have stopped this, and that it's your it's your bloodlust, your which I don't know that I... Yeah, okay, fine. 
Um, yeah. And then all the plants on the island or on the planet start jabbering. Like, yeah. they're kind of pissed like off. They're a, little, little, they're, they're a little irritated. They're a little irritated. What are they going to do? <laughs> I mean, I mean I, I, I'm not sure I get that. It's like, did you guys just notice that that's what they've been doing with the trial by combat? Or it, is Coney getting through to you? Because he does say, we better get out of here before we start a revolution. Yeah, well, hmm. <sighs> These are the plants that wiped out all of the animals on yeah, the planet. That's true. So I, yeah. I'm not thinking that they're the most compassionate of beings uh, or humane, I guess might be the word I would use. I, and, and that seems to be why the judges let them go. It's not because they won. It's, it's because, well, the race, natives are getting restless. Again, I, I don't. I don't know what they were trying for. It's just it's just a dumb resolution. Not that there could be a good, re- you know, again, go back to Arena. It's a good resolution. The alien learns that Kirk has learned and that, you know, we're not going to kill him. We'll, we'll send him on their way and let them evolve some more, go away. But here in the rules of Luton, it's like, oh, you better get off here. You're a political in- agitator. Go away. Um, and then I don't think we even need to go into the stupid bit about the plants on Alpha afterwards yeah yeah let's forget that please yeah just give them some beer and be done with it okay um next i'm pretty sure the next one is the mark of arcanon but if it's not it's definitely brian the brain i'd rather have brian the brain both of which might be induced to say however you know many bits of this episode made me think it was much worse than i remembered it to be so maybe those are better than we remember them to be and this one was well i seem to remember enjoying well well god that's a really terrible that, that's not accurate it's because there was a lot of episodes that i enjoyed when i saw them way back when i was a teenager and i'm looking at them now and thinking i must have been insane you're young and impressionable um, you were uh, eager for anything that was science fictiony well that's true that is that is so true so it is just, true. I mean, I was, I, yeah. I mean, this is set I, in space. I love it. I love well, yeah. It. Well, I, it's the same thing as I said when we reviewed Fantastic Journey. I just devoured it because I was starving for something, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I was I wasn't in any you know beggars can't be choosers. I was not in. I, I didn't have the sophistication enough. I'm you know I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that, but it's true. I I did not have the uh, sophistication to be able to even then say this is crap, but even if I did, I probably would have watched it anyway for the very reason of this is the only thing I've got. Absolutely, absolutely. All right. Well, Ben, thank you for joining me. Oh, it was a pleasure. <laughs> pleasure. Yeah, there's no you in that. We need we need a, a pleasure. It was fun. Or something. Pleasure. Pleasure. No, that doesn't sound right at all. No. <laughs> doesn't sound doesn't. right at all. Listeners, <laughs> we hope you will join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. Chores. <laughs> Fusion Patrol is a Lone Locust production. Like us? Please consider becoming our sponsor at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. We'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes. Stop by and visit us at our website, fusionpatrol.com, 
Search for us on Facebook under Fusion Patrol. Check out our Twitter handle at Fusion Patrol. Or just send us an email at feedback at fusionpatrol.com. Please come join the conversation. Our music is Fight the Future by Amberwolf.